0: Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Zorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Yogi podcast experience my name is Zoranunda and today I have the honor of sitting down with my mentor music producer publisher licensor, and friend most of all John tonic um, today was more of of a casual conversation about music we didn't really go into yoga or anything we just wanted to have a good time playing guitar and just going into our creative thought process on how we uh, put together our newest album opening, and also just the creativity that goes into making music in general. So there are some things that we kind of just goof around with on guitar. Again, I have this issue with sound. <laughs> so our conversation is great, the sound quality is great, um, but f- for whatever reason, when we patched in our guitars, it didn't pick up the guitar. So you still hear it, but you're not hearing it come through at the same level of our voices. So. You're gonna have to listen a little bit more keenly for the guitar stuff, it is there, but um, yeah, I know one day I'm gonna have all of this figured out and I'm gonna have everything run smooth when I think I have um, just better equipment, um, a more professional space and stuff, because obviously I'm doing this just out of my living room, uh, if you're watching this on video. So it's a process. I'm slowly growing and I know it's gonna take some time to get to the point where I have a small team of people and uh, we can tackle these issues on the fly and go from there. So yes, thank you for tuning in and watching so far. It's been really great um, making these episodes and connecting to a community of people who want to hear my voice, want to hear what I have to say, want to hear what my guests have to say, and to continue this journey forward in providing not only cool conversations about the things that people are passionate about, but also cool information about yoga and how you could possibly get into yoga in a harmonious and holistic way that serves you as an individual and can really show how it benefits your life in a multitude of ways from not only the physical practice and the breathing techniques to also the philosophies and the moralities and the spirituality of the world of yoga and the practice um, that it entails. So, hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you again. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. It's rolling. rolling, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Renegade Yogi Podcast Experience. We're doing a unique exploration of music, and uh, the second podcast episode with my producer, licensor, publisher, mentor, John Atonic, and we just had a little jam session there, intro, to get a good sense of what we're going to be getting into today, and um, just exploring. Our love of music and our kind of sense of uh, of passion of what we've been co-creating and what we've been working on over the last like three years—it's been now—it's been like a three-year journey. It's about that,
1: yeah. yeah thank you, Zoran, for that uh, introduction. And uh, it's a pleasure to be back on the Renegade Yogi podcast.
0: Yeah. So this is um this is gonna be really fun because um I don't think yeah i don't think I don't think any of us has really done anything like this to like kind of broadcast to people and um most people are gonna be listening to it, so that's okay but um for any of you who want to watch it, it's gonna be up on YouTube as well but um yeah, I think what we were kind of thinking of here is to have a conversation around music, have our guitars, and also go through a song from our new album um, called Opening that we collaborated with uh, my violin teacher, Marin, and to kind of go through the chords of that song a bit, see what we can remember. Um, <laughs> I know uh, it's pretty fresh in my mind. I listen to it like uh, pretty frequently, but. Um. yeah what do you have to say John what do you have in mind uh,
1: well uh, just over the past about three weeks I've been picking up the guitar again getting my fingers in shape and as you get older you're limited to how much you can do like p- playing these bar chords can get pretty challenging like after ten minutes like my hand is sore and it's like but do, you know doing lead is a a lot easier on me, but you know, at a certain point, you you you'll reach a maximum uh, technically that you can play at, and as you get older, that maximum kind of keeps going downhill. Oh yeah, I'm so already, I'm I'm over the hill here. Yeah, I'm already
0: <laughs> seeing that even within myself. That um, yeah, I think it's a combination of just working laborious jobs and hitting my fingers with hammers and like, yeah, yeah, just like all the little bits of scar tissue that are now like in my hands where, um, you know, in the past say 10 years ago I've been able to do things and I'm, you know, half your age and I'm already starting to feel that, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. What I was thinking about just recently that, yeah, as soon as you're out of practice for any extended period of time, um, you have to like double the amount to kind of get back at where you were. And I know for the life of me, I cannot, I don't have eight hours, nine hours a day like I did, you know, when I was living in an apartment. It doesn't take that much
1: though. Like uh, calluses, it took two weeks I got my calluses back. And then after that, it's like, You know, the bone can't handle much anymore, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, Um, that's where I feel it too. It's like right in the bone, like right in the middle of the finger, that like there's like a strain that happens. Look at us. (laughs) 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 But, um, um,
1: not like when I was in my 20s, I could, you know, practice these scales for like eight hours a day
0: if I wanted to, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, but uh, excuses aside, I think, um, The talent is still there right like the skill and the talent to be able to do these things doesn't really go away right um what i find goes away really quickly is songs that i learned in the past um it's like basically the bank of music that is just in my head it's just like locked somewhere Mm. right uh whenever i hang out with corbin he's like Oh man, do you remember this song? And I'm just like, fuck no. Like, I don't I don't remember that at all.
1: It reminds me of a dream I had the other night or was it my nap the other day, I forget. And um like on stage trying to wire my guitar pedals up with this band I used to play with in the 80s and I'm like there's people all around me and I can't get the chords, I can't find the cable. I'm like, and we got to go on like in 5 minutes and I have no idea what we're playing and I <laughs> talked to the bass player and said, "Do you have a set list?" That, like I have no. I can't remember any of these songs. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm yeah. freaking out. And there's a huge in you know, a huge stadium. And I'm freaking out. Like, yeah. So you know, memory of songs can go pretty quick.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's um, it's only certain songs that I still remember. Like, I remember a bunch of Iron Maiden songs and like some Megadeth songs, um, but there's there's like these obscure ones from my favorite bands that I just don't remember right um yeah so it's it's interesting that there's just like some things that are just like kind of hardwired in and then other things are just super fleeting yeah like you
1: almost never forget this one
0: yeah stairway
1: (laughs) (laughs) that i'll never forget
0: (laughs) yeah um or like um yeah, this is the thing that we probably have to be careful of because when we play other people's music, especially put uh, them up on uh, on YouTube, I like I, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit different if we're playing our own instrument. And it's just like off the cuff.
1: Well, and also uh, we have that. What do they call that? Uh, uh, um, free use because this is an educational. Uh, oh yeah, as long I think broadcast. as long as I
0: like put it. There's, like, something that I got to find. There's actually a copyright line. I remember watching a video of a guy that was using other people's music, and then he would, like, critique it. And right at the bottom of his YouTube description, he was saying that there's, like, a a disclaimer that's, like, this is for educational uses only. Right, right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, we're okay with that. And, like, Dire Maker by Led Zeppelin.
1: Oh, that was one of my favorite. Yeah,
0: like. Oh. Starts on oh, a C. Forgetting.
1: So it was C. Yeah. Then to A minor. Oh my God. This is amazing F. Uh 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 uh. Oh. You don't have to go. Uh uh uh. Yeah, when this song first came out, I thought this is weird for Led Zeppelin. Like, yeah, it's not edgy. It's you know, it's just like. It's, but I like the song. It's a good song.
0: Yeah, like that's, to... honestly, um, in my opinion, what anchored everything in for Led Zeppelin was John Bonham. Was the drumming?
1: Oh, right, Bonham. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, because like he was one of the few to use the hi-hat with his foot so then both of his limbs were free so that he can just like make all these fills right and then he still has the hi-hat going with his foot um, so that even in dire maker where it's like um, right it goes to that part right before it gets into the um, chorus um, he's doing like like he does these like rolling fills um, which I think is, is what makes it like, I don't know, like unique than just, um, this, the music that was being played
1: back There was a, a really good documentary just recently released on Netflix called Count Me In.
0: Okay. I saw Thought it, but I, I haven't, um, I haven't seen that yet. It's good.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Bonham was, I think, I think he was another jazz, uh, school drummer that's where that left hand hi-hat thing comes in that they they're, they're trained to keep time oh, with, with the, their foot with their hi-hat and then do all these other crazy. Things. Ginger Baker was another one of those jazz he played with Cream and Eric Clapton. Oh yeah. He was one of those jazz uh, trained drummers and who else uh, Keith Moon was he also a jazz trained drummer? He was another one of the greats like Is Kenny, that
0: from Rolling the Stones? The Who. Oh the Who, yeah. 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 Um yeah it's it's a it's amazing to see how far music has come um in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong direction. <laughs> well because like um you see what was mainstream back then, right? And the level of talent and skill and now that level of talent and skill isn't in, in the mainstream. Like it's pretty obscure. You have to like kind of dig through the catalogs of new music in order to find something that's like really fucking impressive.
1: And that's thanks to the Lynn drum. It was in the '80s when the, the, it was the first drum machine that everybody started using. There was that they actually contrast the drummer band compared to the when it went electronic in that documentary uh, Count Me In, where they've they feature the song don't you want me baby oh yeah don't you want me now and that yeah don't you want me baby yeah, and this no. yeah and just like totally no groove no feel nothing but that just took off and what do we got now, electronic dance music i mean uh, you know there's a lot of more interesting grooves that have been happened since then i think they've uh got a little bit deeper into creating you know, funky beats with electronics, What you can do too, but still, it's not the same as a real drummer who's just it's yeah, it's that human touch that you just can't replicate,
0: yeah, and of course, obviously drugs drugs and <laughs> <laughs> just like raw talent, you know, it's like, um. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Like I've just I was thinking about that recently of how much drugs influenced the creation of all music, and it from still the, does today. Yeah, you know, of course.
1: In myself, you know, I like to smoke a joint or, or hit a bong or something. And I get really creative and think of things. Things come up when you're jamming. You just kind of come up with things that you wouldn't normally think of or or do, or what you might think is you're trying to do a part, but you fuck up and the mistake actually sounds better than what you're trying to do. Right. So, Hey, let's keep that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because it, pod is legal here in Canada, we can talk about that. You know, we can, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, all cool. Yeah.
0: We can even smoke a joint right now. Yeah. But I don't have a joint. So. But I don't have one either. <laughs> anyway, I got to
1: drive home. After, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, it's interesting cause like that part of the brain that wants to be super technical and accurate it's like just loosens up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I find that too. Um, I, I like it's a double edged sword for me because I can smoke weed and then have the m- like the most amazing just improvised jam, and just like le- it's just like I let my fingers go and I don't have to think about it. And then there's the times where I'm just looking at my guitar and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do. I have no idea where to even begin because I'm just like so high and I just don't even know what to think. Yeah, so it's interesting to to try and, like, tune into that. But I think for me it's just, like, kind of hit or miss. And I think it might be even just be at what point, you know, if I, like, just smoke weed, I find if I'm, like, just freshly high, it doesn't really work out. I've got to, like, wait a little bit. Mm. Um, mm. But, yeah. Um,
1: okay, well, how about we hit him with another improv? This time I'll play lead. Oh man. So okay. just lay down a couple of chords there for me.
0: <sighs> this is where my weakness is. I'm way more of a lead. Just okay. keep it simple. Yeah. All right. Oh man. Nope.
1: Oh, oh you kind of lost did. me there. When yeah, you I did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to edit that out. Tr-
0: <laughs> no, wait, man. We're going to keep all this in. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, <laughs> try
1: uh, some more. Do some more.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. How about here.
1: an E minor or something? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i think um why like chords are my weakness is um i think it's like a visual component for me is to be able to look at where i'm playing and to already recognize like oh yeah this is this chord and then it makes sense to go from this chord to this chord and then to this chord where <laughs> I'll get lost by the time I'm getting to like the second and into the third chord um, that visual like component isn't there to be like um, uh, to indicate for me that I know which chord I'm going to. Um, And it comes and goes. Like I found when I was playing piano that I learned fairly quickly um, the, like, uh, just like how to recognize the chords and um, so I can pick a key that I want to play in and then I just know the pattern of the chords and I would do it over and over and over again so that visual part is there mm-hmm. and then, um, then it would be really easy for me to go from what chord to another, right?
1: Yeah, I can uh, give you a little tip on that anyone else who's having that kind of uh, issue is that, uh, I'll just start with, first of your basic, you know, bar chord, everybody knows the bar chords, well, not everybody, but if you're new to chords, is to, to learn, first of all, learn the notes on the sixth string, so you got E, F, G, A, B, C, D, and then back to E, to your octave, so, and when you're playing chords that have the root on that string, then that's how you determine what chord that is. So in the key of F, let's just take F for example, we've got F major, we go to G, it's gonna be a minor, G minor, Mm -hmm. so the next note in F scale is A, it's gonna be a minor, then we go to F, uh, to a B-flat after that, it's gonna be a major, and then a C is gonna be a major as well, then a D is gonna be a minor again, and then to E, which is going to be a diminished chord, which is well, it's kind of a altered diminished chord there, and then back to the to the F, and then and then learn learn how those and then switching from the root on the sixth string to the root on the fifth string, same thing. You just there be flat C D E F G A B flat C and so on. So you've got your major chord, your minor chord, so those would be two major ones, then your minor, D minor, to your E, so e diminished, and back to F. So learning, the, learning the, the, the fingering pattern for the chords, major, minor, and the, and the diminished one, then, and then apply that going from... You know, following your root notes. So if your chord's going from, let's say you're going F to C, instead of going all the way up to this C, you can just follow the roots. Yeah. And then A minor, B flat.
0: Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and obviously, for those of you who are listening, um, yeah, just do your best to follow along. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah,
1: learn learn the notes on your sixth string and your fifth string. Of, yeah, and uh, I think uh, that's to start the
0: with. one thing that I, I missed to do is like that um, basically the string set right below it, um, mm-hmm. how to fit that into the key, right? Um,
1: and then the pattern will be the same for whatever key you're in. If we can move up to key of G, it's going to be the same pattern, but it'll be G major, A minor, B minor, C major, D major, E minor, F diminished, and back to G again.
0: Yeah. Um, and that doesn't change, right? So, Correct. Because um, I thought I saw somewhere that there's like uh that there is a key where instead of going uh, major, so your tonic or your root is major, minor, major, but it's always going to be major, minor, minor.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Starting on the 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 major key signature.
0: Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I don't remember where I saw it. Maybe it was um, a different scale, but no. Uh, we'll just stick with that and um yeah so like what i did is uh i just learned g major everywhere i found that like because all the open strings um are all in g or can be in g that it just made for like an easier time trying to figure it out without like making mistakes because you're playing an open S- note when you shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Then there's the other uh, uh, theory part of the chords and the scale is learning the degree notes. So in your major scale, you've got degrees are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the one is major, two and three are always minor, four and five are always major six is minor, seven is diminished, and then back to one again. So you can apply that uh, to, to any key. So just knowing the, the, num- the numerology of it is kind of a shortcut. So if you're going to uh, say, uh, okay, we're in the key of A major now, and the chord progression is gonna be a six, two, five, one. So you can figure th- what the chords would be by the numbers. Okay. So, so in, I'm,
0: I've i seen that before. That yeah, makes so an, sense. So in the key of
1: A major, six, two, five, one would be six is your F sharp, two is your B minor, five is the E, and then back to one again. I in, put in a, that's an A major. So I, I major. threw in a couple of jazz chords there, but yeah. same thing, right? a ninth chord or seven. So it's, and then you add the jazz chords, major sevens to minor sevens to dominant seven and and major seven for the the four chord and um, and then your diminished seven for the seventh chord or half diminished seven. So yeah, I mean, you know, like, these things don't you know, too stress out over it. Like, I think the the key for me uh, is really if you've got the talent and you can hear and just play anything that you hear. Like, once you've developed your skill as a guitarist somewhat. Like when I was uh, fourteen, when I started playing guitar. I didn't learn how to read music and understand all this theory stuff till I was till later till I got to high school and went to music school, mm-hmm. and. And then it really tied a whole bunch of things together for me. Like, oh, okay, now this makes sense. Now I know w- what, what we're talking when you say a, a scale tone seventh chord. I know what they're talking about. Um, so that's just uh, chords are made up by th- with three notes. So you got your one, three, five, and then back to one. When you so that's called the triad because mm-hmm. it has only three notes. But when you add a third, third above that, you end up with the seventh chord. So now you've got the major 7 up on top there. We're playing an A major 7 here. And that's what it sounds like compared to a major. So just piling up intervals of a third to get that major 7. And then your minor 7. It's a little bit harder to play in that position. <laughs> I can almost not play it. So it's. And then what we do is we just drop, drop two. Dr- we drop that high one down there and that becomes our minor seven chord because this is too hard to finger to finger that yeah (laughs) it's almost impossible for me right now but this one you can do but uh, you know a minor seven that's pretty hard but that's called a a drop two when you drop that top note down and you end up with something easier to play for a minor seven chord
0: right and you're barring uh, these three, right? That's right, yeah. And is this one open?
1: No, you're muting you're m- that. M- muting that one?
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see.
1: And then with this position, you can add the, f- the your pinky to add the ninth to make it a ninth chord. So you end up with that. <laughs> so there's a little bit more advanced jazz chord there. That- There you go. And that transitions really well to the D7, which becomes a D13.
0: Yeah, it's funny because, like, in my process of making music, I, like, I don't know any of this stuff, right? And so I end up just basically picking up my guitar And, um, first going with what I know, right. So like I'll naturally gravitate to G major. It's like the easiest one. Um, but then I'll just start making changes, right. So I'll, I'll make something, um, like say for, um, yeah. So say for. Like, we can even look at opening right now, right? Because, like, you showed me the chords for opening, and you only showed me the four chords, right? So, like, the... Right. And... um, But then, when I started playing around with them, then I just let my kind of body do what it wants right so then it's just immediately i'm like and i'll just listen to it for a second i'll be like hmm, okay and i'll just see how that sounds Mm -hmm. like um and then that's where it just kind of takes over for me and it'll just start it'll just start creating itself right
1: Yeah, that, uh, that first chord, that's a, another jazzy chord. Mm-hmm. It's You could look at it in two different ways. It could be an A major with a D on the root or on the bass. So an A over a D. But another way you could look at it as a A major 9 because we're playing the, or a D major 9, pardon me. You got the one, then you got the five, then you got the seven, and then you got the nine up on top there. So from from a, a major nine, and then you added that n- note up there, which yeah. is the major, which is the third. So it becomes a major seven chord when you're taking out the nine. And a nine is also like the second degree. A one, two, two is the same as a nine. Resolves up or resolves down. in in the natural resolution scheme of things oh yeah yeah and then that next chord going to a f sharp 11 chord so the 11 is actually this one which is the 11 is same as the fourth but an octave higher but in this case we're playing it down where the fourth would be so if this is one that would be four and then we've got the other two notes up on top here are the the seven and the nine so whenever you, whenever you have an 11 chord you're immediately implying a seven and a nine that exists so this chord has everything in it except the third yeah because you wouldn't want the third because that would be there or there if it's a minor you'd, you'd get some dissonance there yeah yeah, yeah. And then the next chord after that, we go to I think it was a E. Oh, okay, a D major, right? But you're you're voicing it with in what's called the first inversion. You're playing it the the third on the bottom. So you got the one D, and then an F sharp is the third, and it gives it that kind of like it wants to go somewhere feeling.
0: Yeah, because of that uh, F sharp, right?
1: Right that's a common thing you'll hear in a lot of music, So where the the bass guitar or bass, uh, if it's an orchestra thing, will actually play the third. There's no other notes below it. It's just a third on the bottom and everything. It creates kind of an open, uh, uh, unresolved kind of feeling that it wants to go somewhere. And Normally, the third, you resolve up to the, f- the fourth. Mm. But in this case, we're going from this chord Yeah, we're kind of doing a little trick there, right? Where you think it's going to go to here. It goes to goes to a C-sharp 7 chord. Which is the, the 5 of, because uh, we're in the key of F-sharp minor here, and then the next chord is a F-sharp minor 9. And... Uh, and then back to D major. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a trick there because we're in the key of D, and the, the the relative minor to D is actually B minor, not F sharp minor. But we're kind of tricking everybody, to to think that it's that we're an F sharp minor by yeah. that C sharp chord there. So we're kind of we're tra- uh, transversing keys, I guess we could say. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting just like in my process of making this that like, even though I'm not thinking these things, you know, like there's a part of me that's like, it's like in the background, you know, it's like intuitive. Um, but then it gets like fleshed out more as, um, we actually start creating the song. Right. Cause then, um, yeah, with with how you're how we track it, and then um, how uh, you make like the sheet music for it. It's not the sheet music. What is that? The score. The score. <laughs> yeah, that then everything starts to make sense, right? Because then, um, you know, you'll show me um, chords to accompany it, right, and um, all these other elements that I just didn't think of, but. It just seems that, like, really what's important to me is um, just that creative process. It's like, just get the music out, just get the first parts out, and then it comes to life as you work on it, right? As, like, we've seen with opening, right? Just, Mm -hmm. like, completely transformed. Um,
1: So can we play a bit of that track now? Is that possible with our setup here?
0: Um.
1: Or we can do that and edit that in later.
0: Yep. so yeah. we can play it. Let's let's save it for the end, um, just so there's a little bit of suspense, so that we're talking about it and people want to hear it. Because um, then I can just make like a little video um, to go with it, right? Um, and this
1: is, by the way, is a, a track we haven't released yet. It's coming out very soon.
0: Yeah yeah
1: along with four other songs yeah on, on the ep
0: yeah
1: featuring uh marin on violent who goes by the name of lavia moore
0: yeah i'm super excited like um it's been it's one of the like the cha- most challenging musical things i've done um especially when uh on the last night of recording and uh we were all like pretty exhausted because we just spent like three hours, especially Marin, Like, man, I have so much respect for her and just pumping out all the violence she did. But on, I think it was clouded where it was at the end of the night. And I really wish we actually did sit down before and like think of things, but it just like, I just remember hearing Marin getting frustrated and not knowing what to do, and then you being like, Well, I don't know what to do. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And for me to just be there and be like, Okay, how about you do this? Da-na-na, da-na-na, right. And <laughs> just like on the spot, having to like um, create this music it was just super empowering. And then just seeing how like you'd be like, Yep, that's great. And then Marin would be like, Immediately go after it. Right. And be like, Perfect. Um, yeah, that's just such a, it's such a great feeling knowing that, um, we actually formed a really good team, you know, um, when it came to not only creating the music, but then also like listening to it and all the feedback. Cause I would go right to Mary and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And I'd be like, just give me your complete honesty. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. Mm I'm like, this is all of our projects. Let's, let's make it as good as we possibly can. Um, so that, you know, people can enjoy it and have fun because I think, um, I love all of them, but opening is definitely my favorite. And then second would be the challenger. I really love the challenger too. Like there's this, um, it's just how it builds up in the middle. It's like almost like an EDM song where it's like, it's like building up to the drop but then the drop doesn't come and then there's like all this crazy like violin solo, you know, it's just like, it's so, it's so amazing. Right. So, um, it's just like, it's just that, um, that allows me to feel so fulfilled with what we've done. Right. Like, man, two people can listen to it. I'm like, I don't care because it was just the whole process, right? Mm. But I mean, ideally, obviously, we want as many people as possible to listen to it. So that's why, you know, I'm doing my part to um, get onto other podcasts and um, just find new and unique ways to distribute music because I think the mainstream way of doing it is really hard, right? Like they demand a kind of grind to it like they want you to be broke and living out of some shitty apartment (laughs) playing music 12 hours a day trying to like figure out how you're gonna get recognized right like that's what they want like that's what the industry wants but like you know they like they don't want a couple dudes that are like well we don't have to do that you know like i can just still have my day job you know and i can work on this stuff when I have the time to do it and it's like with the industry it's like they want people who will just leave everything behind and like you know live in LA or something and go on tour you know like 50 to 100 times a year or more 200 times a year for 10 years you know it's like here's a contract you're going to be touring 200 plus times a year and it's like holy shit i don't know (laughs) i'd rather like uh figure out another way to do it
1: right yeah that's the old old model that is going out i mean there's still the big bands that have the budgets to do because touring is very expensive even if you're just a you know a three-piece uh you know punk band touring local bars in alberta it's still expensive you don't make money
0: oh yeah like i'm um, keeping up to date with Coheed and Cambria, it's like one of my favorite bands and they're on tour right now throughout the United States. And they're doing like outdoor amphitheaters, right, where they have like maybe 10 to 12,000 people at every single show, like they're sold out everywhere they go. And you look at the stage, you look at all the equipment, all the lighting, like there's so much that goes into it. There's a whole like road crew, right? Like they pull up with like two or three semi trucks yeah, yeah. or four, like full of shit. And, you know,
1: and that cost a fortune and all that.
0: Yeah. And it's like, and the cost is justified by the people that come out. Right. Cause each person and like the tickets were like fairly expensive this year. Um, uh, just because they have they they have no choice, right? So you know they're selling for four hundred dollar tickets for front row, you know, wow. four or five hundred dollar tickets, um, where like standard admission, general admission is still up at like hundred plus dollars, right? So um, you know you're guaranteeing at least one hundred twenty thousand dollars every night of who's coming, right? All right. and they're doing a whole month of shows. Right. So they have to, like, they have to make sure they're pulling in like million, two million million in their whole, uh, their whole, uh, budget. Yeah. And yeah, that's cool to see though. Like I'm, I'm happy to see that bands are, are getting back out there and, um, and being able to actually entertain their fans and to show new music and to get people out together. Right. Cause, it's been, like, two years since that's happened. Um, but, like, for us and, in in like, the direction that we're going is, like, licensing and publishing and um, wanting to get our music into TV shows and, um, like, movies and stuff, which is funny because that would have been considered, like, selling out back in the day, right? If you were, like, a band and your whole shtick is... You know we're going to hit the road and we're going to, you know, spread our music to as many people as, as possible.
1: Yeah, having researched the publishing uh, side and sync licensing, uh, having a band having a song get on a show, a TV show, or a movie, or in a commercial f- for a beer or a car commercial, or something like that, automatically gets you huge exposure because people still watch television, they still mm-hmm. watch cable TV. There's huge audiences there, and, and it's been noted that when that happens for a band, all of a sudden their Spotify streams just skyrocket, and now they're actually having a chance to actually make some money on, off of these streaming platforms, which uh, is very difficult to do as well. Yeah. So that's why you, you look at what are the other revenue streams available to me as a musician. And I'm not, you know, not to say that getting your song on a commercial or in a TV show or a movie is easy. It's not. It's There's as much, if not more, competition in that field, in that area, you're competing with huge, huge music libraries that have hundreds of thousands of songs and have, uh, you know, have been going for 30 years and have a reputation and, and have their, already have their, their clients all locked up, right? You know, certain music supervisors, they don't talk to anybody except this one company that they've been dealing with for the past 10 years or, or however long, but there's always new people coming into that area. And you just gotta find them, and that's yeah. that's my job as a publisher to to find those people, uh, the music supervisors, and uh, pitch my catalog atonicmusic.com, at uh, where you'll find all of Zoran and I's productions and and other uh, artists that I also represent. So that being said, what's next?
0: Well, I just wanted to say, um, yeah, that there is a kind of gatekeeping, right? Like, uh, oh, for sure where the you know the people in the music industry from the beginning i'd say I, I, maybe not the beginning maybe like the 70s 80s right that like it's a generational thing where the children of like the legacy music industry moguls right they're the ones who are piggybacking off of all the work of their mm-hmm. like, parents right of everything that they've done to uh, bring about the music that we hear today like that they heard back then. And so of course they want to protect what it is that's creating the wealth and the abundance that they have. Right. So for a couple of guys like us to try to get into, um, like into the room with them, it's like, fuck no way. Right. Unless there's like, you know, we luck out somehow. Right. Unless, um, You know, by all the work that we've been doing and all the networking that we do and um, we end up just meeting someone that knows someone that knows someone where there's this kind of chain of command of how people get connected together. But but then again, it's like it's such a strong hierarchy that it's like those people that gatekeep the industry, it's like they're they're fixed um, facet, right? Like they're there and they're not going to give up their place. And so luckily with the internet and how kind of oversaturated everything is, um, there's so many more people doing so many creative things. And so the opportunity to actually get into a TV show or get into a commercial, um, Can actually be a little bit higher just because of the amount and the volume that is being created, right? So, like, we don't necessarily need to get onto a hit, like, Netflix crazy TV show. It could be on, like crave tv or like hulu or like somewhere else right where we just pbs or something yeah (laughs) you know like and it just comes down to the music supervisor the uh, music director that we talk to that's like man i really love this um you know this will fit perfect in this show that i'm doing over on this network or something right Mm -hmm. it's like maybe it's a network that we didn't even hear that's in like wyoming or something right it's like in the states somewhere um
1: On a local level Yeah and on the other hand On the other hand What was I going to say On the other hand Unlike uh, Mainstream radio They hardly ever 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 play an Independent unknown artist Oh yeah They stick with You know the ones that are Coming through Sony ITV uh, Records Yeah And you know the three big Labels They stick with those and, you know, if you're an indie that has like a bazillion YouTube and, and Spotify streams and, and, you know, then they, they might play you. Oh, yeah. Uh, whereas yeah. Uh, whereas with the sync licensing for shows and television and movies and and things like that, the music, music supervisor actually have a reputation for wanting to have independent artists, uh, unknown independent artists picking stuff from an independent artists who are unknown and they take pride in breaking them into the market Mm -hmm. so that's a thing to you know kind of be like uh aware of and and connect with with as many music supervisors we possibly can when there's so there's that one that oh like you said oh i really like this and nobody's ever heard this ever right it's it's obscure independent music and it gets into a show, and all of a sudden, there you go. You, you've broken into the mainstream now. People are, are looking for you. Yeah. So that that's, you know, as opposed to mainstream radio, which, you know, if you're an independent artist, you've, I'm sure you've heard of radio trackers. You pay them thousands of dollars a month to, to submit your, your uh, single to a whole list of radio stations, and it's pretty much a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been there, I've done that, and... It's just not not worth worth it because these radio stations will not play independents that are unknown. It just doesn't happen. You you might you might think uh, uh, to target like uh, university radio station like uh, what do they call yeah, like campus radio? Yeah, and campus yeah. radio, local stuff like that. That's that's kind of doable, uh, but I wouldn't be spending money on it. No.
0: And that's the idea that I had right to um, specifically CKUA and CJSR um, just to see um, like what their protocol is in accepting new music from artists. Cause I'm sure they're also getting emails every single oh, day yeah. Yeah. of like, Hey, you know, like I'm just, you know, and so like, they have to, like, they had to um, wade through so much material and there's, there's, there's so much time in a day to listen to, you know, like a hundred songs, um, that comes in every day from all these local musicians. Right. Right.
1: Um, and that's the same situation that the music supervisors are in with sync licensing. Like they get so many people caught them every day. It's like, but I, I, I would believe that most of them just give up. So if you're consistent and you keep, you keep a bug in their ear, like not emailing them every day or messaging them every day, but you know, every couple of weeks you're like, Oh, Hey, you know, yeah uh just to remind them of yourself and your company and yeah and uh what else can you do you know what else can you do
0: yeah exactly and that's the game of it right it's like who can be the most persistent in in a not so annoying way (laughs) and to show that like the persistence is a part of dedication rather than desperation and there's a fine balance between that right and it's professionalism right like um, you come off desperate. You're not coming off as a professional, right? You're coming off um, as someone that just wants
1: something right. And right away. what can you do for me? Yeah. Attitude. That's not the attitude you want to have when yeah. you're approaching music supervisors for sync. It's like, what can I do for you? What? How can I make your job easier? How can I help you find the music you're looking for? Yeah. Because we're pro- we're providing a service to them. Yeah. Well, shall we like maybe just jam on? Opening For a little while Uh sure And then where are we at for time Like we don't want to go over an hour Here probably
0: Um We're at about 50 minutes Yeah
1: Okay so Refresh my memory What's the chords in that So D major 9 F sharp 11 D E C sharp Okay. <laughs> All right.
0: So, playing music isn't easy. <laughs> um it's it's one of my like most pleasurable struggles, you know? Because like I have this weird relationship where I'll just not play my guitar for an extended period of time, and I don't know what it is. It's like I there's just something that just prevents me from, um, having this kind of like, um, relationship with it where like, I'm like, okay, I need to practice every day. I need to learn something new every day. Cause I'm a musician, I'm a guitarist. And then, um, but something's like, nah, it's okay. And then I'll like pick up my guitar after that time. And suddenly I'm just creating all this new music. And it's like, I have no control over it. And, um, then the learning for me is like figuring out what I played and figuring out how to expand on it and to create like more stuff out of it. But then I also realized that like, sure, I can, I can do that. I can just live my rest of my life doing that. Right. But then it's going to come to a point where it's going to become stagnant. And I already feel that happening. That like there's this little bit of stagnance, and I'm like losing touch with songs that I learned in the past, and then um, uh, losing touch with songs that I created that I'm not remembering how to even play, and then when I'm actually creating new songs, um, it's like they're too similar to the stuff that I created in the past. So now that I know that's how I've like targeted and and figured out where the stagnance is of like figuring out okay now what steps do i take to get out of that you know um and to me it's like a whole new level of drilling remember that like sheet of paper that you made of like basically f major everywhere
1: oh yeah all the scale patterns yeah so
0: i took a picture of that and i'm pretty sure i like deleted it (laughs) so i need it back and i don't know if you have that piece of paper like around your house Uh, i might still have that yeah
1: Uh, well if i emailed it to you then i've got a file somewhere
0: uh no you just oh you you just wrote it out because like one day you're just like here and i don't think i took it with me i think i took a picture of it and i left it and i remember like one day just like going through my phone and then just like deleting and mass like all this stuff and i was like Oh, fuck, I just deleted the one thing I needed to actually, like... Yeah, well, we can run through all
1: those right now, if you want. Yeah, sure. So, start on F major, you got your... And there's a a one-two stretch that you're doing, that you want to maintain here. So, so one, so F, G, A, B flat, C, D, E, F. So, that would be one octave. And then continue to the next octave. So, but staying in the position. So you shifted position there. You want to stay in the position. So you're you're staying in the position. Right, right. Remember that one-two stretch. Try to maintain that one-two stretch.
0: Like that, right? Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah, and you can go all the way up, go all the way up to the third there. Yeah. Right. And then starting on G, you have a minor pattern. It's actually the Dorian mode. So this is the Ionian mode at major scale. Second degree is the Dorian mode.
0: Holy shit.
1: Now, these are the fingerings that I use, but there are alternate ways to do that. You could do it this way. So it's depending on whether you want to play that note there or there, right? Yeah. So that's the second one. The third one is a Phrygian mode, and then the fourth, we go to Ionian mode. The fifth, we have the Mixolydian. Sorry, that last one was a was a Lydian mode, not a Ionian Lydian. And then to the Aeolian mode, which is otherwise known as the harmon- the natural minor. And to the seventh degree, which is and the loc- that's
0: because that's the sixth note. That's the right The, um, the uh, relative minor. Relative minor. There you um,
1: and then we got the seventh, the Locrian mode.
0: That just reminds me of uh, Ingwe Malmsteen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, that so that that sequence of patterns is the same in every key. If you're starting on G, it's gonna be the same again, starting on G, the yeah. order that each of the ones, each of those scales go in. And, and just to be able to visualize that on a guitar, another good way to, to, to sink in is to start with one, and then go down with the second, the next one, so each, sh- and then shift position again.
0: Excellent. And that's
1: the kind of thing I practice. Like I I could do, you know, a good twenty minutes just doing that. Yeah. And and not only just for technical uh skill, but also for knowing where you are in a certain key. Like you'll a good thing to do once you develop technically, once you've memorized all those scales, then go through the circle of fifths playing playing all those in all the keys. So you start on C, then you go to G, then you go to D, then you go to A, then you go to E, then you go to B, and so on, through the whole circle of fists until you're back at C again. And and then you've, you've gone through all the, all the keys.
0: And that's something I definitely have not... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably not a lot of well, guitar players have done.
0: Yeah, like I, I figured out how I can just um, take a key, like... Um, in a major scale, like say, if I just wanted to pick E flat major, um, right. Mm -hmm. So like I can find where E flat major is and I can figure it out where it is, Mm -hmm. but then it's that next step of like, okay, all the modes, right? Like how can you stay in E flat, but then play in a particular mode if it's like Phrygian or Mixolydian or whatever. Right. Um, that's where the next level for me is to is to figure out mm-hmm. and and i know that's like it unlocks things but there's a lot of effort and a lot of time that goes into that point where it's literally like ingrained in muscle memory in your brain everything that like yeah you're just super familiar and can recognize it. um uh basically any key at any time right like mm-hmm. as soon as someone starts playing a couple chords you're like yeah i know exactly where where it is and then you can go right from there
1: right right yeah and the thing with modes though is that even though i refer to this as the ionian mode dorian and so on it's not really um if if your chords are going like f c and let's say um if you're doing something like that, so you're going one, five, six, four. So F, C, D minor, B flat. okay, you're still in the key of, of F even if you're starting with the scale pattern that I refer to as Dorian. you're not yeah. playing in the key, you're not playing in a Dorian mode. Just using that pattern, but you're still in the key of F. If you were playing in a Dorian mode, it would be G Dorian, so it would be a G minor chord, like what we were playing earlier. Yeah, uh, G minor seven, going to like a C seven. So that would be the Dorian mode. Uh, it's a, a difference. So you can tell the difference in the, in the sound of that key.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Compared to... Right? Yeah. So the modes are, are tricky. Like, there's very few pop songs that would play in a Phrygian mode. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. There's a, there's a lot of uh, the flat nine sound there. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a lot of that actually. Maybe the Locrian would be. Because okay, so if you're in a Locrian mode, you know that's your chord, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, like uh, not really pleasing shit. You know, it's no. Those kind of modes are or chords are kind of more like passing chords that lead to something else to resolve kind of thing but anyway we don't want to get too involved here like yeah uh if, this, if it's going over your head then you know you've got a lot of catching up to do huh? I guess <laughs> <laughs> not just you i mean our listeners right oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah
0: exactly <laughs> um yeah i think we can we can kind of wrap this up now um yeah i just what um As like a kind of final idea here, you know, I took on music as a personal self-development. Like I realized when I was in my twenties that it was doing something more for me than just the idea of wanting to become a musician, to be in a band, to like play music for people and, and you know, that whole lifestyle that there was this like spiritual kind of component to it. Um, and that I was learning things about myself that no one else could teach me that no master anywhere at all could teach me. And it was just me and the music and the guitar and my struggles and the way that I overcame the struggles of learning, um, you know, what it would take to play a certain song that once it clicked and I got it there was this, like, opening that happened, right? And then with each progressively difficult song, there were these, like, levels of consciousness that I was exploring and figuring out for myself in, in that, like, self-development. And, and it was, like, regardless what genre I played. Like, it didn't matter. It's all-encompassing in... Um, in the pursuit of um, like finding out who I am as a musician that doesn't really involve anyone else. And so like, that's the kind of message that I tell people is like when you learn an instrument, really figure out right away that there's a deep um, self-development happening and y- you will have something that loves you so unconditionally without it even knowing right and it'll always be there for you right there's like you have an instrument you have a guitar and you learn things it's always there and it'll always want to be played right like it'll never put up a fuss of whether or not like you're playing the right song (laughs) and that was the coolest thing and I I have this like really clear memory when I was 16 I like just I had my guitar for about a year um, I had broken my arm snowboarding and I realized that, you know, the path of snowboarding wasn't for me. I was like really hardcore into it. I was going every day at rabbit Hill, like right to the park and like doing the craziest shit in the park. Right. And like really pushing towards becoming an amateur snowboarder End up breaking my arm. And I had this like epiphany of a kind of like a life crisis. Cause I realized that every sport that I thought that I was going to like really dedicate into and like really want to pursue that I would injure myself somehow. And between soccer and skateboarding and snowboarding, um, I was like, well, I don't want to hurt myself anymore. You know, like I don't want to take the risk. And I just remember thinking that, and I was like standing in the hallway between, um, the living room and the kitchen and my bedroom was just beside the kitchen and my guitar was leaning up against my bed and the light was shining off. It, and it was like this cherry red guitar and it had this like glow to it. And I just like looked at the guitar and I was like, Oh my God, you're never going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And it was just like such a profound moment that I like, I really felt myself fall in love with music right then and there. And I was like, you're never going to hurt me. I was like, maybe you'll break a string, but I'm never going to like break a limb, you know, playing you. I'm going to get calluses, but I'm not going to like, you know, it's not going to be a life threatening injury if if a string breaks and it like hits me, you know. <laughs> and that it was like simultaneously feeling that love for music was like an immediate like pact with myself that music is is for the rest of my life. And it was knowing that, that like, it doesn't matter if I become famous or not. It doesn't matter if I make the most perfect piece of music. This is a lifelong journey that is going to unveil new parts of myself. And it it really has. It's been incredible.
1: Yeah, I can really relate to that because I think I came from a similar perspective when I was a teenager and 18 and then decided to go to uh, college to study music and i wanted to be the best guitar player ever like better than any of them out there right and i just i would practice so much like amazing how much i practice every day and uh but eventually the the idea of yeah i'm going to be a rich and famous rock star creeps in right as soon as that starts happening then you're up for disappointments because i think you know people that pick up a guitar or or any instrument or or singing or whatever with that in mind that, Oh, I'm going to get rich and famous, but you know, you're going to be disappointed because trust me, you probably won't. Mm -hmm. And, and if that's the only reason you went to doing it, then it's not going to last long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's kind of selfish. Right. And, and I think in the industry there's like a level of selfish that you need to like surpass beyond everyone. Like you need to be so like, I, I don't even know what the right word is. Authentic. Be, yes, it is authentic, but there is a self-centeredness to it. There, there is like this, um, like feeling that, you know, that you have this like talent and you know that you have these connections and you know that, you're in the right place at the right time, and that you are superseding so many other people because of this combination of like luck, um, arrogance, and ego, and talent, and authenticity. Right? Like, that doesn't mean that you can't be an authentic person. Right? Like, there's um, you know plenty of of guitarists who are great people, but if you were to actually ask them like what it took. For them to get there they probably stepped on some toes you know (laughs) like to get to the top of the ladder um and i know i don't have that within me i'm not that type of person you know like um i would actually like help the other person get there you know like that's more of like what i feel and and i had like such a dilemma with it when i was younger because when i was like in my like later teens early 20s I recognize that, like, I, like, boast people up, right, and then I'm kind of, like, left in the shadow, and I, and it really, it, like, um, yeah, it really impacted me, you know, like, I hmm. had a lot of trouble with, like, well, shit, like, I'm helping all these, like, people Like, when is someone going to come and help me? When am I going to be like lifted up? And I just like realized back then in a kind of like pessimistic view of like, well, that's never going to happen. So like, it doesn't matter. I don't, I shouldn't even try. Um, But then it's like, it was just maturity as well. I think um, there's some people that just um, lack a kind of certain maturity to understand the business, understand the connections and understand how it works to really place them in the right place at the right time right like for me I, I like when i was in my 20s i had no idea how to go about that right so i was just lacking this sense of maturity of what it would take to do that but i think now i'm like grown into that and so i'm now i'm starting to see how that works and so i'm starting to make connections in in new ways like um like doing the Grime America show right? In November, right? Like that's a huge opportunity because that's like, you know, tens of thousands of people or more that's going to hear me and, you know, hear the music and, you know, um, you know, get to talk about my book and, and all these things. So that's where I see, I think like over the year of, of working on all this music and doing podcasts and stuff, it's like, it, it takes that time of maturity to be able to get to a point where, you do meet the right person and the right people, and it's because of all the steps you've taken, right? So, you know, there's people in my life that can probably say, well, you know, no one's listening to your music on Spotify. No one's listening to your podcast, right? It's like, yeah, I do have listeners, but um, the, the point is, is that, like, it's the journey through it, and eventually it's all going to pay off. And then there could be a point where I look at my ratings for, you know, my podcast and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, suddenly in in the next year, all these people are going back and listening to all my first episodes. Right. And that's all it takes. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, shit, there's this guy that exists and he does great. Okay, let's listen to all the other ones. The sound quality sucks, but, you know, the conversations are great. And then they see that, like, you know, um, there's an evolution over time.
1: Exactly, and those people that, that do have those huge audiences already, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It, they took years developing their podcasts and, and try, try this, try that, and connecting with other people uh, to get to where they are. So it, it's not going to happen overnight. Mind you, that's not a rule either. Like uh, You can get all of a sudden, like they say, go viral kind yeah. of thing happens, but it doesn't happen very often.
0: Yeah. There's a weird lottery to it. It's, um, yeah, I, I don't understand it, but, uh, I like there's this woman from Edmonton, um, named Tianda and, uh, she just hit 500,000 streams uh, on Spotify. And it's like, this is the first time it's happened. Like, um, you know, her songs were usually, you know, they she'd have like 10,000, um, 20,000, but like just in the last like six months, just all the things that she's been doing to like really put herself out there and really make connections is that it just finally clicked and mm-hmm. then she just hit the 500,000 mark.
1: And how long did it take her to get there?
0: uh Several years. Oh, yeah. Like um, I s- started following her just this year and she would tell in her stories, like, look, like, I've been doing this since I was a teenager, you know, and like she was on this like YTV, like searchlight, I think like, um, show where she ended up winning or something. But then the, like the music producers that wanted to work with her were like, Oh yeah, you're going to do country and you're going to do this. And she's like, well, I don't want to make that music. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. (laughs) And then she just like dropped out. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. And then everyone forgot about her. Right. Mm. Um, and then she just like came back on her own and was like, this is the music that I wanna make, you know? Like she, um, yeah, writes all of her own lyrics and guitar and um, and I think, I'm not too sure if she like makes her own beats, I think she does. I think there's some like things that she does herself and then she has a producer that she works with. But that to me is inspiring, right? That's, I love seeing that, right? Because it gives me a good sense of like, okay, hey, what am I not doing, right? The thing that I'm not doing, I'm not on social media every day posting, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's fine um, until I just have more content to create, right? So um, yeah, I think I can leave it at that. Until one final eight. riff here. Oh yeah, and
1: if you can guess what this is, then. You're not too young
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, Yeah <laughs> Uh, What is the first lyrics?
1: We all came down to Montrose Yeah I think We all came down to Montrose <laughs>
0: I don't know yeah, it's Smoke on the Water.
1: Smoke on the Water.
0: Yeah, and it's all about... Deep uh, Purple.
1: Yeah. One of my one of my bands I grew up with, and Richie Blackmore was the lead guitarist for that group, and I practically learned every lick that he did. Oh, really? He was a huge influence on me, as well as Jimi Hendrix at that yeah. time.
0: Uh, what's their song? Um, oh, man, the car song. Highway Star. Highway Star, Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Ain't no one gonna take
1: my car. Yeah. yeah the, the rock band I toured in the 80s with, we did that tune. And the lead guitar solo in there, I learned note for note. We had a keyboard player who did the, the guitar harmony on top of it. Oh, So shit. we'd be doing... <laughs> the, yeah, it was so cool. Actually, I have a recording of that somewhere. Poor recording from a live <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, we should wrap it up here. And thank you again for having me uh, back on the Renegade uh, Yogi podcast. and uh,
0: Yeah, you're so welcome, dude.
1: Take care. And take care of everybody out there, too.
0: Yeah, so thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I know this was a little bit different of an episode. I wanted to uh, bring John in so that we can yeah just have our instruments jam a little bit talk about music talk about our our life with music um not so yoga heavy i've been basically you know every episode has been kind of getting into spirituality and stuff but um yeah thank you for watching have a wonderful rest of your day and enjoy